This is Polishment, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on your preferred podcast platform and share the show with a friend. Today's episode might sound a little different. Thing one, I am recording in our bus today, which I love, but it's pretty far from ideal as far as recording quality. You can hear traffic sounds whooshing behind me. I'm going to do my best, but this week got complicated, my dears. Thing two, I recorded a ton of stuff this weekend. That erotic horror story for Halloween, which is coming soon for free, to my email subscribers only. So if you haven't signed up for my email list, please visit eveningskingdom.com and click subscribe. It sounds pretty good, you guys, and it is definitely a spine tingler. I can't wait to do the music on it. And I also recorded a dreamy hypnosis-guided meditation thing, which is coming soon also to email subscribers only. So get yourself on the list already. By subscribing via email, you'll get automated bi-weekly updates when each new episode is out, free extra stories like The Never Sees, and that whole bit with the great grand someday, when our evening's kingdom becomes a real girl. A huge fantasy series all printed out on creamy, inky pages you can hold in your hands and enjoy. I'll email you and let you know. So eveningskingdom.com. Subscribe. And thing three, we went to a haunted house this weekend, 13th floor, which was amazing, and I screamed my brains out. So I might lose my voice today. However, my lovely friend Evan of MetaSeed, an NFT collective for artists, builders, and collectors, Loan me his rad podcasting equipment, which I am absolutely loving. And this is why I'm going so hard on all the recording right now. That's metaseed.art. Go check out their cool nifties, which include acid dragons, and super soon, some exciting elements from Fungi Queendom. Bit of a lead up there, sorry. Ah, one thing more. Today's episode, guess what? It's the final episode of book one. I'll be reading to you from book two next. Feels like a bit of a milestone. This is an epic quest through an ancient, magical kingdom. As Uma, a reluctant young shaman, seeks her revenge against the king who killed her family. But, guided by otherworldly allies and unlikely friends, Uma unlocks a whole new world. Evening's Kingdom, written and read by Paula Schmidt. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you so much for listening. Coming to you today from a sunny morning street side, unfortunately, forgive me, in Denver, Colorado, we continue. Chapter 84 nor the devouring of Ulali. Nor stood watching Ulali burn. His soldiers made a bonfire outside the ancient gates, with livestock roasting on spits, and the rich, greasy scent of the cooking meat made him salivate. Pow stood beside him. It was the culmination of a long journey, their first, and disappointingly simple. The famous castle of Ulali, the last Wutar stronghold, had tumbled more easily than anyone would have ever guessed. This was in no small part because of the Eye of Tensing, the battering ram Nor designed when he was still a cadet. Pleased, now Nor clasped his hands behind his back. I feel as if we found the sun's bed and made it our own, General Pow, he said. Pow beamed. It is a great day for Tensingland, but you'll take nothing for yourself. Nor raised his chalice to her, and back towards the generals outside his war tent. I am but the servant of our peoples. I am the will of the Yang, 
made manifest. And we, the great nation of Godex, we the chosen people, we shall become as one heavenly field across every face of the world. Pow bowed. But wealth is much more than foam from the sea, my lord. You've earned your take. Godex provides, Nor said, and splashed Pow merrily with milk from his chalice. Believe, and wealth shall come, my generals. They laughed. We believe, sovereign. Highness, one of the guards said, in a low voice, when the laughter quieted. There is a messenger for you, from Chalice. Nor waved the messenger forwards, broke open the wax seal and opened the skin. Abruptly, he sank onto a chaise, still reading. His face paled. Pow looked at him. Sovereign? My father, Nor said. And Nebbiolo. They were murdered. Sacrificed to Godix to stop the drought. Pow looked stricken. So the king is dead, she said, quietly. Gently, she put her hand on Nora's shoulder. Long live the king. Nora reached up and squeezed her hand. I am not king yet, old friend. Pow knelt beside him. Your father was a good man, and a wonderful king. I'm all right, Pow, Nora said. I never knew him, not really. But you, my soldiers, the needs of our army, you are what matters. Nora stood slowly, seeming to gather strength as he spoke. You, my people, you are the salt in my blood of our kingdom of Godex. And long may we reign. He tried to smile, raising his chalice. Long may we drink. Hail to the king! Long live the king! Nor began raising his hands for silence. Pow locked eyes with him and shook her head. Let them, she said. Then she went on, in a voice only Nor could hear. The needs of your army, they are indeed real. Stealing herself, Pow looked up at the generals, her round face crinkling into a sad smile. Long live the king! Chapter 85 Uma First, Laxus said, I will teach you to quiet your mind. This is the first step. Sufferers let the chatter of their minds direct their lives. They are like puppets and cannot master their fates. Meditation helps you awake to every aspect of your life. It gives you the power to create your life and your world just as you want it to be. You need nothing to begin, and you can do it at any time. Sit here, one leg atop the other. Now you are rooted firmly to the ground. Make your back straight, good. Your shoulder blades melt down your back. Your spine is upright, as if a string came out the top of your head, pulling you tall. There, you see. Your head floats. The backs of your wrists rest against your knees and let your hands be open to receive. Rest your tongue at the back of your teeth. Relax your face. Close your eyes. Good. Let your belly fill with air. Feel your lungs swell out like the gills of a fish. Breathe in. One, two, three, four. Very good. Now we pause at the top of the breath for one, two, three, four. Let it go. Breathe out. One, two, three, four. Good. Breathe in. One, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four. Let it go. One, two. Three, four. When a thought comes, just watch it go by like a cloud. You might say to yourself, gently, you are thinking again, my good friend. And just let the thought go by. For you must be as gentle with yourself as you would be with others. 
As Laxus spoke, his words came slower and slower, until without noticing it, Uma felt so calm it was as if she'd ceased to exist. There was no longer any Uma. Any separation she imagined between herself and the world was gone, for she had no head, no eyes to sense the world through. She was the world, everywhere and nowhere at once. The ruby slow beat of Uma's heart came unmoored from her body. She was dustless, smiling, her face slightly uptilted, joy pulsing, timeless. She was a brilliant white wing of light she was soaring. Daylight saw her, turning to the scarlet open rays of her and the cave flooded with brilliance. And Laxus was pleased. Uma opened her eyes and her teacher moved smoothly into posture in front of her. So close she felt the mineral coolness of his skin come close to hers. Everything is energy, Uma. His voice was the hiss of leaves skittering over river rocks. It was the boom of a waterfall. She felt it in her blood. It is energy to be unlocked, to be harnessed to our will. Your intentions interact with energy. If you condition yourself in the space around you with focused intention, energy will respond in kind. The stage is set. The path is revealed. Let the energy leap between us. Uma closed her eyes and instantly dropped deeper, back into the wing of wild interior light. She felt Laxus's energy resonate with her own, felt spaciousness soar around them. It was a pulsing, unbroken radiance, weaving air and time and eternity. After a time, Uma opened her eyes and saw him without words simply as he was. For heartbeats it lasted, this no time, no separation. Seeing the mountain without calling it mountain, you've done well today, he said. You are a powerful bridge into shamanic reality, Uma. But today... I will teach you how to heal energy within ordinary reality. This works no matter where the illness is, whether it is in flesh, in mind, or in spirit. We all share our energy with those around us, whether we are conscious of doing so or not. Sometimes our energy makes others sick. Other times it heals. All this, even without our conscious intention. But as you've seen, we can shape energy with our intentions. We can reweave and realign it so sufferers may experience alignment. I understand you believe in letting others find their own way. Once a sufferer understands from direct experience how alignment feels, they can begin work to bring themselves into alignment on their own. This can be done in many ways. It can be as simple as slowing down your breathing, holding space for the sufferer. Just listening to them talk. Calmness is like water. It spreads out from us in waves. And when the sufferer names the cause of their suffering, this takes the power away from it. The sufferer may see what is beneath their suffering. The thing they have been afraid to feel. And realize they can feel it after all. And all the while, the calmness of your breath will move into them in waves. You know this already. Simply rest your face while you listen, not judging, not interrupting, and breathe in slowly with full attention. Breathe out slowly with full attention and just listen. With practice, you may even be able to bring a sufferer into a meditative state purely with your own breathing. And once they are in a meditative state, they can do work within themselves to dissolve their disquiet. If someone is dying, when it is our time to pass into the mystery, it is better to go with a quiet mind, for habits of mind continue after death. When you take a sufferer onto the blood road, Uma, that quiets their mind, 
but the practice of meditation quiets their mind just as much. Death is a passage just as beautiful as birth is. And yet it frightens humans so much they will do anything not to think of it. Why? Because you cannot remember where you came from. The darkness was your first mother, your first father. To perform an energy healing first, you must ground yourself, Laxus went on. Let yourself receive light through the top of your head and cleanse down your skull. Relax. Uma tried, but then, without intending to, she began to rise into the shamanic plane. Stay here with me, Laxus said. Let yourself receive this teaching from me. Good. Release. Uma's muscles relaxed, hearing the four-count pattern of Laxus's breathing, deep and slow. Instinctively, Uma began to breathe along with him. Then, noticing she was doing this, she laughed, embarrassed. You don't need to breathe at all. You're just making the sound to show me. Yes, Laxus said. Of course I am. Relax. Uma laughed and laughed. How joyfully ridiculous. The god made of air, breathing air. And he was her teacher. How wonderful, how strange it all was. Uma laughed and couldn't stop laughing. And Laxus was pleased. Very good, Uma. Then he was laughing too. And Uma was happy, her teacher was happy. Now, I want you to remember this day backwards, he said. All the way to the beginning. Think of each moment as you experienced it. As you climbed up the wall to me. As you said goodbye to the monk below. As you walked beside him along the trail in the dark with the sound of the other monks chanting behind you. Remember all the way back to the beginning of your day, when you first woke. It's beautiful to remember a day in this way, isn't it? Uma nodded, seeing each moment as if they were prayer beads strung behind her. Let yourself feel heavy. Feel all the liquid and flesh and bones of your body relax and become heavy. Let even the liquid in your brain sink down. Down. Relax. Relax. Release your neck, your shoulders, your hips. There we are. Melt into the stone. Let the stone hold you while you receive the light from above. Laxus swept his hands up above Uma's body, and she felt the energy he created above her like a current, warm and slow. Then a memory crept in. A cloud. Hello, old you, Uma thought, and tried to let it go. But in spite of herself, the memory quickened and swirled. Uma's mother, her aunts, the world she'd lost. She felt her habitual rage flicker and catch. Ah, Laxus said softly. There it is, we found it. Stay with it, breathe into it, girl. There you go. Uma was shaking, floating ash, turrets falling. She screamed. There, girl, there you go, Laxus said gently. Stay in it. This is stuck. We'll get it to move. You're doing very well. Very, very well. The rage pulsed and raged in Uma, but began to meet something at its outer distance, an outer shore, which accepted her rage listening and noticing, allowing the rage in Uma to simply be. Gradually, the feeling thinned, slipping away over the water, warming into air, into grief. She fell silent. Rocks tumbled down the outer wall of the cave into the distant water below. Uma knew she'd made them fall, and that made her glad. I feel different. Thank you. Laxus nodded. Now we sweep our hands out to seal off the energy and, and put our hands together above our head. And we thank the energy. Let yourself fill up with clean light from the sky. 
Now that we have melted out some of this undesired energy, we must take it away. Where do you put it when you do your shamanic healings? You cannot leave it on the ground for others to stumble into. I have a place I go in my mind, Uma said. A door into a room in space. I put it in a bag and then I put it in that room and pray for it to become whole and reworked into clean energy, she said. Laxus nodded. Do this now. And as Uma rose with the tangled darkness from her own soul, now wrapped up tightly in her spirit bag, she saw him anew. He was right there with her, watching her. The figure in the distance, it was him all along. Uma's eyes snapped open. I've seen you before, I know you. Laxus smiled. Yes. Many times. Many Many times. After she finished her lessons for the day and returned to Graeme, Uma remembered Fern sitting cross-legged at her loom. The way Fern would often sit up weaving long past nightfire, her big wooden loom like a doorway before her, opening out into the darkness. The pale vapors of wool rose under Fern's hands, yearning up towards the cloudy reaches of the moon. And Fern's sadnesses, Uma knew how Fern pulled them from her own head, pulling her own hair out, long, shiny threads, and she wove them apart from herself into a poetry of motions, of ghosts made into wool. Words took the power away from fear, and so did art. Art ate fear and showed you what was left and a pattern began to frame itself in Uma's mind. I can make them see. Chapter 86 Nor All Hail the King The messenger was nervous, and that set General Pao's teeth on edge. You're who? she said. Again. My name is Cyan. The boy was exhausted and spoke quickly, rattling off the message he'd repeated many times. I have an urgent message for the prince and what's in the bag, Pao said. The message! Cyan almost shrieked when General Pao grabbed at the lumpy bag strapped across his chest. He wrapped his arms across it tightly. I can only show it to the prince. Please, please, he'll want to see it. He'll want to be the first. He must. The guard shook his head at General Pao. You see, he insists we can't see in the bag. What do you want me to do with him, General? I should cut his throat where he stands for his impudence. Pao stroked her chin. He lives, for now. Put him at spear point and take him for audience with Prince Noor. I trust, boy, your reason will be most entertaining for us all. Am I correct? She smiled. Cyan beamed. Yes, General. A thousand blessings on all your houses. And so it was that Prince Noor stood blinking in the sunlight of Palmstone as Cyan the Defector revealed to him the severed head of his final rival to the throne, Derwin Lempesis, and knelt. Long live the king, Cyan said. Your majesty. Long live the king! Long live the king! And Noor, now King Noor Tensing, was carried on a flood of approval throughout his kingdom Tensingland distributing wealth to all the villages of the men and women who demonstrated merit during their campaign upon Ulali. And the people were happy. And Nor was happy, for he thought of his soldiers first and kept them close always. When he completed his tour of the kingdom and came home to the great capital city of Chalice, he met with his old oligarch, Weir Rothwau. And Nor shared his idea that all the peoples of his kingdom ought to be trained in the arts of war, even the holy classes. My time as a cadet changed my life, Nor said. There is no one who could not improve with military training. Weir Rothwau studied him somberly. Would you have every flower of the field be alike? Goddix would not have made each face separate if that were their holy will. We must each live out the fate that has been cast to us. Be grateful and be good. The oligarch waved a hand at the servants without looking at them. Bring us more milk. He waited for their glasses to be filled, and then spoke again. 
I think perhaps you are tired, Majesty. I've arranged a surprise for you. A surpassingly lovely flower from Oculus, trained in a very exacting art. Not of war, but of pleasures. But you are tired, and perhaps now that you are king, you prefer war over pleasure. But Nor smiled back. Hmm. I'll be tired when I'm dead. Lead on, old man. Chapter 87 Uma The sky was like hot white stone when Uma returned to the abbey, with long shadows stretching out from between the trees. Arayaku rushed out to her and they walked along together in the shade. I keep thinking, Arayaku said. What if we never went back? Maybe this is home. Uma studied him, smiling. Not every door is for everyone. But maybe this one is yours. And what about yours, Uma? She took a deep breath. Mine was chosen for me a long time ago. The hatred you carry scatters your force, Laxus said. But it also allows you to empathize, to understand. If you do not learn to be vulnerable with others, you will become a thing very different from what you are now, Uma. Laxus studied her with the depthless eyes she'd come to know so well. She remembered her own words. I am a god in my own right. Sometimes our desired self can only exist at the cost of many others, he said. We create a version of reality in which the people we hurt are invisible. We imagine their needs, their dreams, matter less than our own. You can visualize an alternative, you can choose that instead. Laxus closed his eyes and then opened them again sneakily. But the choice is yours, Uma. He flickered. And then suddenly Laxus vanished. Uma reached out for her teacher with a cry. Laxus? Just as suddenly he was beside her again. Uma was shaken. What happened? He drew back. That is all I can teach you today. Let me rest. Come back tomorrow. May I send you strength? Uma said, quietly. Laxus closed his eyes, nodding. Yes, thank you. Now, please, I must sleep. When Uma returned to Graeme, she learned that this time she'd been with Laxus for many night fires. As before, although she was neither tired or hungry, Graham insisted that Uma eat with him and warm herself with tea before they returned to the abbey. Then Uma slept, dreamlessly, until a warmth came and woke her, which was not Graham. It was Laxus. She went over the wall with him and they began again. To create something from nothing, first you must go on your knees to nothing itself. This is my last lesson, Uma. What I will teach you today can never be unlearned. When we attempt to separate ourselves from the mystery, we make ourselves sick. The greater your strength of will, the more you can empower and honor the mystery by embracing it. You must go on your knees before it. Let it fill you. Let it be you. It cannot be understood only experienced. Because trying to understand is trying to maintain a duality. To maintain an idea that the mystery is outside yourself, and nothing is outside ourselves. You will go to the mystery, and when you return to me, you will embody it. In making your mind utterly empty of all thoughts, all fears, you will be one with the mystery one wave with its wave, and your intention is its own. Uma was quiet with this. 
What will you bring me? Laxus said. Bring you? She said. Yes, you will go into the mystery and when you return, you will bring a manifestation of your ability. Power, Uma said. What I want is power. Good. Then when you return, you will lift this stone. It will stay lifted. You will lift it only with your will. Uma dropped between the worlds of both ordinary and shamanic reality, becoming smaller and smaller until she was only dancing energy. She was vastness, fullness, the mystery itself. You're still not well, Uma said afterward. I am weary, Uma, Laxus said, as all gods become weary. It is time for energy to come home, to reunite. All this endless devouring, birthing, grasping, and disease. He shook his head. It is time for you to be strong, Uma. My mother said that to me once. They sat with their legs dangling over the edge of the cliff face. And Uma picked up a rock, tossed it into the air. And she was dying. I was trying to help her. I didn't want her to die. She said I would always be her baby, or that I needed to be strong. Below them, the water rolled open and closed across the sands. I have tried, she said. Sometimes strength is simply letting things be what they are when we want most to change them. But now you know how to see the ways energy wants to flow. You can clear space to allow that flow to happen. Perhaps the energy still won't move or it will go in some other direction. We cannot attach our peace to the outcome. There are no rules. There is only energy. But if you raise your energetic vibration, you raise the whole world. A hollow bone, Uma said. What is this? He said, something my family always said, that a healer must make herself a hollow bone. It means not attaching your peace to the outcome. They would have liked you, my aunts. I think they would agree with what you're saying. Yes, live at the level of your ideals, Laxa said. Nevertheless, understand that this is not necessarily doing but being. Your hands are open. Hollow, yes. Enjoy life as a hollow bone, then. Love and celebrate, but do not grasp. He seemed to sink into himself beside her. And suddenly, Uma understood Laxis was dying. She looked at her teacher quickly, saw he knew she understood. Thank you, she said for everything you've taught me. And then, without thinking about it, Uma grasped the alien god's hand affectionately. His strong, dark hand, the wide, square fingers which looked like those of any of the monks, and yet, at first there was only warmth, a sizzling realization that she'd never touched him before. Laxus. And then it was coursing all through her rivers of power, of knowing. Laxus's powerful neck glinted in the sun as he gazed down at the brilliant expanse before them. The sky and sea and calligraphy of birds. The surety of him stand in your quest. Flooding her with a hard, sparking brilliance. Lightning. A feeling that she could do anything, absolutely anything. And that, whatever she wanted to do, it was divine. I can make them see. Why did you come here, Laxus? Uma said. I want to restore harmony. I want the Bodhisattvas to come home. I want the sufferers to come home. Every man, woman, insect, and bird, everyone, it is time for all life to rest. To return to original darkness. You are the darkness, she said. Laxus closed his other hand over hers. We are all the darkness. 
He looked at Uma. Your tattoos are amulets. Yes. She took off her cloak, turning so the god could see the snake of protection glimmering across her skin. It braceleted beneath her collarbone, its head and neck sweeping grandly out behind her shoulder blades. She showed him the faded red journey lines fretted down the sides of her hands and arms. Proud work, Laxus said. Their medicine is strong. May I offer you my medicine, also? Uma beamed. That would be a great honor to me. In the empty air before him, a long, heavy tattoo needle appeared. It was made of tapered bone, with a long channel carved into the end to hold the ink. He flicked his fingers of the earth beside him and a chalice formed in the stone. Then he snapped a flame between his fingertips and placed it into the chalice where it burned. Tiny figures appeared in it, dancing, curling away into ash, and Laxus bit his wrist and let his own blood drop into the chalice. He mixed the blood and ash together with the blunt end of the tattoo needle. You sit there, Uma. She sat with her back to him, covering her front with her cloak. First, I will write a blessing here across the back of your neck to help you direct and control the strength of the image I will place below it. Laxus began to tap the needle firmly across Uma's back, dipping it again and again into the ink. She could hear it sewing magic into her skin. The fierce, small movements. The steady warmth of his hands. Birds thrilled across the sky as Laxus prayed and blew blessings into each mark as he made it across the nape of her neck. Think of all your desires, he said. Hold them in your mind like a crystal. Let them turn so you can see all their sides. She breathed into the pain, relaxing her muscles into it placing her mind into his prayers for her as he explained each mark he made. This is for wellness. This is for power. This is for good fortune. This for protection. This for strength. Then Laxus bid Uma lie face down on the smooth, warm stones, looking out at the water, and then back towards the dark womb of the cave. And at the center of her back, he began again, describing the image to her as he worked. It was a serpent-headed monk in seated meditation, with his hands open on each knee. Flames were cupped in each palm. One flame was dark, and the other was pale. Everything in balance, Laxus said. It's you, Uma said. On my skin. And now I am you, he said. Balance, she said. And behind her, Laxus nodded. Yes. It seemed to Uma the snake god was growing smaller, and by the time he finished her tattoo, his hands were almost like a child's. You are strong now, Laxus said. Very strong. Uma bowed, resting her forehead on the ground between them. I feel it. Her body felt exultant. I thank you. Only a pleasure, Laxus said, faint as the wind. Her back was bare, and each mark he'd made was bright with happy pain. Bowing to him, Uma felt her blood surge with power and awareness, in such deep connection to the weft of energy all around them and inside them. She ceased to feel any separation between it and herself, and Laxus. When she looked up again, he was truly small. To anyone else looking at them, he would have seemed, in fact, to be no more than an ordinary snake. She felt Laxus in her own mind, using her to think his own thoughts. It is time for you to return. When they bowed to each other for the last time, it seemed that their spirits commingled. And when Uma rose again, her eyes filled with tears. And so she went to the wall and climbed down. Because she was strong.
There was another monk who was waiting for her in Graham's place. She was chubby and bald, with little remnants of hair like gray fledglings tufted about her ears. Are you hungry? She said, eagerly. Uma wasn't, and this, too, pleased the monk. She insisted that Uma eat and drink and have tea. And then, while Uma rested, more monks came and insisted on carrying her and a palanquin through the cave back to the abbey. They were concerned she would be too weak to walk, for Uma had been gone nearly an entire season, without any food or drink. Uma accepted, and yet she was radiant with power, and the monks felt this as they carried her home, that the girl had become a god, and, in many ways, she had. Chapter 88 But, to Uma's friends, she was still Uma. When they returned to the abbey, Uma saw many of the monks now wore pendants of slender carved wooden nails, like thorns around their necks. When they saw Uma, they kissed the nails and then held them up to her reverently. It was strange, and the strangers still because the Yang built their homes without any nails, only ropes and mud. Nails were vulgar curiosities all across the kingdom, for they looked too much like fangs. Only the Chiriklo, who were a practical people, and the Wutar, used nails. Uma asked Arahanku about the carved thorns. You're wearing one too. Everyone has them now. What do they mean? Arahanku blushed hotly, covering the pale thorn with one hand as if to hide it from her, clearly not knowing what to say. I'm not going to like this, am I? Uma said. Tulu did it, Arayaku said. Did what? He said they were from your ancestral home, Arayaku said. You know, relics. <laughs> Uma went hot with shame. That greedy gut sack of... Uh, where is he? And then there was Tulu right there behind her, giving her a little tap on the shoulder to make Uma spin around in the wrong direction. He stood there grinning, and it was impossible not to laugh at that ridiculous, crooked, earnest grin on Tulu's handsome face. Uma smacked his broad chest. You should have asked me, she said. Tulu scratched his head. But you would have said no. Correct, she said. Tulu pursed his lips. I'll cut you in on half the profits. What have you... <sighs> She sighed. Never mind. You know what? I don't want to know. But you owe me. What do I owe you? Tulu said. I don't know yet, she said. You just do. That's a deal then? He said. Uma rubbed her mouth. You won't forget? Tulu hugged her. You know, it's a good thing to be able to tell which ones are friendlies, Uma. I did you a favor. He roughed up her scalp fondly. Not so much a oneling anymore, are you now? Uma blushed, ducking away. As she did, she caught a strange, wistful expression on Arayaku's face. What's wrong, Arayaku? Her friend was smiling and crying at the same time. I've decided to stay here, Uma. But that's wonderful, she said. The road is hard, Arayaku went on. And I want to become a better man for Hala. I think this is my path. Learning from the monks and then... Arayaku looked up at her, the carved wooden thorn dangling against his strong, tawny chest. But I want you to argue with me. Convince me to come back down with you. But you want to stay, Uma said, softly. So you must stay. Behind them, birds startled up into the sky. Arayaku's eyes filled. I don't want you to leave me. I must, Uma said. But I love you just the same. Arayaku shuffled forwards. I didn't even know if you were coming back at all. Not that you would have told me either way. Arayaku, you used me! The whole time I see that now, I was just convenient. It's fine, I never actually mattered to you. But other people are real, Uma. You need to know that, and my feelings are real too. You can't just... Uma shook her head. You are my friend. And you are happy here. I've never seen you so happy. You should be where you are happy. And Hala is not so far from here, Arayaku. 
He looked into the trees. I know. You're already a better man than you know. And Hala will be lucky to have you whenever you are ready. And you and I, our friendship will never end. What is true never ends. Uma reached into her cloak for her knife. She cut her palm with it, held her hand out, bleeding to him. Wherever we go, carry me in you, my heart in your heart, and your heart in mine. The tears fell freely now from Orayaku's eyes as he sat down in the grass and accepted the knife. He held it to his palm and then shook his head, smiling. <laughs> I don't think anything could penetrate these hooves of mine. So he held the knife up to his ear instead and cut the lobe so that his blood welled up like a jewel. He turned his bloody ear to her, smiling, and Uma clasped it with her bloody hand, laughing. What is true never ends, Arayaku said, smiling up at her. Never, she said. Another burst of birds rose into the air, bright with the sun, and Arayaku glanced towards the woods and lit up with what he saw there. Blessed be! For a beautiful young woman in green stepped out from the trees and was emerolding towards them. It was Fern. Chapter 89 Homecoming Fern drifted out of the trees towards them, smiling. Her sap-green dress was soaked dark with mud and clinging leaves. Her long hair was tangled, and her expression was utterly at peace. Arayaku and Uma ran towards her, and together they all danced wild circles in the grass as the moon rose into the velvet night. At nightfire, Fern shared some of the visions she'd been given. We will retake Ulali, and a new order will rise. The cheer clothes cheered. Tulu hugged her neck, toasting up to the clouds, but Fern raised her hands with womanly calm. Uma watched, smiling slightly to see the way Fern waited coolly for all the adults around her to fall quiet. But, at great cost, Fern said, at great cost. Let us drink to brave days then, Tulu said, and merry nights. To the fullness and the mystery. None of your brown salutes though, Tulu, Fern said. But as it happens. No, someone stop the man. I jest, my dear, here, Tulu said, clinking his cup to Fern's. But the honk that followed sent the roosting birds around them startling up into the sky. The monks laughed and laughed. Altogether, another type of prophecy, Skibberus said, finally, teary-eyed and stroking his beard. The very best kind, Tulu said, getting up, lumbering quickly towards the woods. I'll be right back. In the morning, Tulu, Fern, and Uma gathered their things, taking their leave of the monks and Arayaku. As they left the abbey the same way they'd come in, Uma smiled up at the trees. I feel as though it was a lifetime ago when we came in this way. Tulu smiled. Are you sad to leave it? But suddenly a young monk came crying after them. Wait! Wait! The boy had to catch his breath before he could speak any further. Tulu knelt down beside him, concerned. Are you all right, man? The smoke! The smoke is dead! The monk said. His remains have been found. Please... Return to us. Stay with us as we honor him. His eyes were hollow with the question, but he did not look at Uma. Tulu raised his eyebrows at Uma. The question was for her. She gazed back at him steadily. And so they returned for days of feasting and offerings of incense and tellings of lore about the smoke. But fear rippled through the abbey, despite the festival atmosphere. Very tense, aren't they? Tulu whispered to Uma on the second morning. The smoke was with them from the beginning, Uma said. They aren't sure what his death means for the future of the world. Though neither of them would admit it, they were thinking of Fern's prophecy. At great cost. Something had changed forever. But what? Is it me or are they looking at you differently now? Tulu said. I noticed that, Uma said. Perhaps it would be wise if we left now, Tulu said. Right now, she said. No time better. And so it was. 
that Uma left without saying goodbye to Arayaku, who had been her dearest friend. And here ends book one of Evening's Kingdom, written and read by Paula Schmidt. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'll be back to read you book two soon. And if you're an email subscriber, you've got some lovely spine-tingly stuff coming your way soon for Hallow's Eve delights. Well, and in case you're like me, for the eve of the eve of the eve of the eve of Hallow's Eve, because happy October. (laughs) I got a truly lovely email from Brendel that I wanted to share with all of you. Brendel writes, (laughs) exquisite writing. Very interesting story, and wow, I could listen to it all of the time, day in and day out. So very soothing to me. Some of the best imagery I have ever had. Brendel, thank you so much. It makes me so happy to know the specific things people are enjoying, and I'm delighted you're enjoying the imagery. Thank you for taking the time to write in and subscribe. You made my day. The Never Sees is coming your way soon, and much more. I also got some really cool news from Apple. Evening's Kingdom is charting in France and Austria. (laughs) We're number 200 in Apple Podcasts drama there, which blows my mind. So if you're listening from France and Austria, thank you. Wow. I hope you guys keep enjoying the story. And lastly, an amazing note from a psychologist. She writes, I incorporated shamanic journeying into my EMDR session with a client recently. He was deep into his session, and these feelings of fear and nervousness in his mind wanted to become something. And then he said, They're a king snake. I asked how he felt towards the snake, and he said, It's supposed to be there, but it also makes me nervous. I then suggested he ask the snake if it was his teacher. And immediately he said, It's not my teacher. And the snake crawled up into its nest and went away, and his anxiety dropped. It was wild. And then he said he just felt overwhelmingly happy. He was crying with happiness. Doctor, that is wonderful. I'm elated for you and for your client. Thank you so, so much for sharing this story. I hope your client will continue deepening into his journey and will find more and more healing. Very best wishes to you both, and safe travels. This is Paula Schmidt. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay tuned. The rest of the story is just down the road.